All right, I want to begin with a bit of a game this morning, and we will call it Worth It or Waste of Time. So I'm going to give you a, an activity, and by show of hands, I want you to be able to tell me if you think this particular activity is worth it, worth the time, energy, and effort that it takes, or it is not worth it. All right, are you ready? All right, number one, Facebook. Worth it? <laughs> not worth it? Can we answer both? Number two. Now, some of these are likely to cause some fights. Maybe some marriage counseling will be needed. I don't know. Fishing. Worth it? Not worth it. Scrapbooking. Worth it? Not worth it. Um, here we go. NFL football. Worth it? Not worth it. <laughs> um, here's one for you. Pulling weeds. Worth it? Not worth it. Just, just, just let those dandelions grow. All right. Going to the DMV. Worth it? Not worth it. Making your bed. Worth it? Not worth it. We all know what your bedrooms look like. And, and kids... Regardless of what, whether you raised your hand or not on that one, if your mom tells you to make your bed, make your bed. How about this one, calling technical support? Worth it? Not worth it. Just an exercise in frustration, isn't it? Here's one fitting for the season. Hallmark Christmas movies. Worth it? Not worth it. Yeah. All the girls, all the guys. <laughs> Serving God. All right, totally worth it. But here's the thing. There's a lot of people that would think that serving God is a waste of time. Right? They wonder why we would give our time and energy and money to, to a God we can't even see. Why would we want to show up on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night to, to work with kids, to teach a class, to help lead in singing, to, to change diapers in a nursery, to prepare communion, to do a communion meditation? Why would we do that? But this morning, we want to put the service back in worship service. Now, every Sunday we have a worship service but this morning, I, I want us to understand that our service can be worship, and it should be. Now, most Christians, we define service something like this. Service is work that we do for others or for God. Um, nothing wrong with that definition as far as it goes. It's kind of like just volunteerism with a couple of Bible verses attached. 
The problem with it, though, is it doesn't go far enough. Um, we also need to see service as an act of worship. It isn't just something that we do for God. It isn't just something that we do for others. But it becomes an act of worship. And I want to use an expression. Um, it's not original with me. i got to give credit to Aaron Chambers. He's a friend of mine. He's part of my the Wednesday ministers meeting that, that I, I gather with every Wednesday online. And, and he came up with this phrase, altered service. Not A-L-T-E-R, like alter and change, but A-L-T-A-R, altered service. Now, we all know what an altar is, right? An altar is something on which you offer a sacrifice. We've talked about a couple of different altars in recent weeks as we've looked at the foundations for worship in the Old Testament. There was the altar of burnt offering. And on that altar, you would offer a burnt sacrifice. Inside the tabernacle, there was the altar of incense on which you would offer, well, incense. And that sweet-smelling aroma symbolized prayer. But an altar is something on which you offer a sacrifice. And so altered worship is service that is done as an act of worship. And here's why this is more than just doing something for someone else or doing something for God. First of all, think about this. Doing something for God. Does God need you to do anything? No. God is God. He's all sufficient. God doesn't need you to do anything. So if you think of, well, I'm doing this for God. But if he doesn't really need me to do it, why am I doing it? Well, doing it for others. Because others certainly may need it, right? But then we might slip into this thinking of, well, they don't deserve it. They're not worth it. But if we think of service as an act of worship, where it's not about what God needs, but it's about what God is worth. And remember that word worship comes from an old English word, worship, to give God what he is worth. And we defined worship as a response of all that we are to all that God is. And so if our service is a response to who God is, and we're responding by what we're doing, that is altered service. Now, this Sunday, instead of going back to the book of Exodus and the Old Testament, we're going to be in the New Testament. I want you to turn to John, John chapter 12. John is the fourth gospel, uh, and each of the gospels tells basically the biography of Jesus' life here on earth. We're also going to take a little detour over to Luke chapter 10, but, but turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. And here's what's going on in John chapter 12. We are one week away from Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets there. He knows that he's going to die. And he knows how he's going to die. He's even predicted it several times. But on his way to Jerusalem, he stops over in this little town called Bethany. It's like a suburb of Jerusalem, just two miles away. And Bethany is the home of three very close friends of Jesus. 
a brother and two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, there's big doings going on in in Bethany because back in the previous chapter, in John chapter 11, something big happened. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus just turned a funeral into a party. And so now Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, are having this dinner in honor of Jesus. And something wild happens at this dinner party. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, both sisters, Mary and Martha, are serving at this event. Martha's service... um, is recorded this way in verse 2, simply this, Martha served. That's it. Just two words, Martha served. And then the rest of the story is all about Mary's service. And we'll talk about her in just a minute, but I want to talk a moment about Martha. Poor Martha. She gets a bad rap. Um, Martha's the kind of gal who's always in the kitchen. Right? She was always willing to help out. If there were hungry people who needed to be fed, there was Martha whipping something together. In one of the other major stories we read about Martha in the New Testament over in Luke chapter 10, Martha is doing the exact same thing. She's in the kitchen. She's preparing food. She's serving Jesus. She's serving the disciples. And what happens in that story is kind of interesting. Because while Martha's in the kitchen preparing the food, Mary is in the other room where Jesus is, and she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Interesting thing about Mary, she shows up three times in Scripture, and all three times she's at the feet of Jesus. And this time she's at the feet of Jesus, listening, learning. Mary's in there, and here's what it says about her, or Martha is in there. Martha was distracted with much serving. All right, so she's in there. She's roasting the lamb. She's kneading the dough. And and she's getting mad at her sister. All right, Mary's just sitting in there. She's doing nothing. While I'm in here, I'm doing all the preparations by myself. And she should be in here helping me. I mean, somebody's got to feed all these hungry people. Dinner isn't going to make itself. And here's what Jesus tells Martha. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
Now let me be very clear. Martha's problem isn't what she was doing. It isn't that she's in the kitchen. It isn't that she's preparing food. It isn't that she is serving Jesus and the disciples. The problem isn't what she's doing. But the problem is how she is doing it. Her heart isn't in the right place. Her focus isn't on the right thing. Jesus isn't knocking her choice to to make dinner and to serve food. So don't take what we talk about here this morning as in any way denigrating this kind of service. But Jesus viewed Mary's service as an act of worship. Something that would be talked about forever. And at least in that specific moment, Martha's service wasn't an act of worship. Now Mary and Martha, even though they are sisters, they're very different people. Right? Sisters can be very different. They have different ways of doing things. They have different views of service. Now, if you were to go up to Martha and you were to ask her while she's busy in the kitchen, Martha, what are you doing? Martha would say this. I'm serving Jesus. I'm serving others. I, I'm, I'm making dinner and, and the food's got to be served. I, I, I'm serving them. But what was she really doing? Jesus says she was distracted. She wasn't seeing what she was doing as an offering of worship to Jesus. She saw what needed to be done, and she saw what her sister wasn't doing. Right? She was looking at the work. She was focused on herself. She was focused on her sister. The one thing she wasn't focused on is Jesus. Altered service will bring us closer to Jesus. But distracted service will put a wedge between us and Jesus. Because we're focused on the wrong thing. The other thing that distracted service does is it puts a wedge between us and other people. There's now hostility between between Martha and her sister Mary. So I ask you a question. Are you serving Jesus or are you distracted? Because there's a difference between truly serving and just being busy. And I think a lot of us are busy, but we're not really serving as an act of worship. It's not really altered service. And if you were to go to Martha there in the kitchen and you were to ask her, what do you think your sister's doing? Here's what she would have said. Well, she's wasting time. She's neglecting her responsibilities. She's being selfish. She's only doing what she wants to do instead of being in here helping me. But if you were to go to Jesus and you were to ask Jesus, what do you think Mary is doing? He said the better thing. And what was she doing? She was worshiping Jesus. Do you prefer worshiping Jesus or do you prefer working for Jesus? Now, don't answer that question because really it's a false choice. 
Jesus wants us to understand that our serving Him, that our working for Him, can be and should be an act of worship. And in Luke chapter 10, and I think here again in John 12, Martha was serving Jesus without seeing Jesus. Does that make sense? And I think there's a lot of times that we are are so busy serving Jesus, but we're not seeing Jesus. And we don't want to be so busy for Jesus, but we never see Him. We don't want to be so busy for Him that we're not with Him. Now you might wonder, well, how can I be with Jesus? How can I see Jesus when I'm serving other people? Well, it all goes back. Jesus told a parable about the sheep and the goats and the difference between the sheep and the goats. And it all comes down to this, what we do for other people. And he says that whatever you do, even for the least of people, who are you really doing it for? For him. He says when, when, when you go visit the sick, when you give clothes to the needy, when you feed the hungry, when you go visit somebody in prison, that whenever you do that, it's like you're doing it for me. So that means that in a very real and a very spiritual sense, that whatever we do for other people, if we look at it the right way, we're doing it for Jesus. And that's an opportunity to see Him, to be with Him, to experience Him. But our heart has to be in the right place. So I'm going to go back to John chapter 12 and identify real quick three characteristics of altered service. Number one, altered service is senseless. Altered service seems crazy from a certain point of view. Mary takes this very expensive perfume, she pours it out all over Jesus' feet, and then proceeds to use her hair as a towel and wipe his feet with it. And, and the disciples think she's absolutely nuts. Led by Judas, they become indignant. Now, John makes it sound like Judas is the only one here, but if you read Matthew's account, it's not just Judas, it's all of the disciples. Matthew 26, 8 and 9 says this, Why this waste, they asked the disciples. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. All right, so Judas may have been leading the charge here, but they're all thinking it. They're thinking, wow, we can feed a lot of people at the food pantry with with all this money. We could take care of a lot of single moms and babies down at the pregnancy center with all of this money. They thought she was crazy. Now, what she did was completely sane and insane all at the same time. In that culture, in that time and place, it made perfect sense to have a dinner in someone's honor. That happened all the time. It also made sense in that culture that you would have somebody serve the guest, especially a guest of honor, by washing their feet. Journeys were long, days were hot, roads were dirty, and odor eaters were still 2,000 years away. And so you would have somebody wash their feet. That part makes perfect sense. What seems completely nuts here 
is doing it with the most expensive perfume and with your hair. But again, if you could get a psychiatrist and take her back in a time machine 2,000 years ago and, and she was to interview Mary and, and, and question her and try to analyze her state of mind at this time, I think the psychiatrist would tell you Mary has perfect control of her faculties. She's not gone crazy at all. What Mary does here makes complete and total sense when you know what she knows. And here's what she knows. Mary, more than anyone else in that room, recognizes who Jesus is. She recognizes, first of all, that he's a king. You don't usually lavish gifts on somebody unless they're royalty. You know, you might lavish gifts on royalty. Well, she knows that Jesus is the king of kings. It makes sense to lavish gifts on him. He is worthy of the most precious thing she has. She also recognizes this about Jesus, that he is the ultimate high priest. John and Mark, in writing this story, use a very specific word about what Mary does here. They call it an anointing. Now, an anointing is something that was done for a king, but it was also done for a priest. And this is how you would set a priest apart and designate that that he was for a very special role. And what was the priest's role? To be a middleman. The priest is the ultimate go-between between people and God. Well, Jesus, we're told in the New Testament, is the ultimate high priest. The ultimate go-between between us and God because he came to die as one of us on the cross so that we could go and be with him and his Father in heaven. And so Mary simply anointing him as the ultimate high priest. Mary also recognized one other thing about Jesus, that he was a Savior who was meant to die. You see, there is one time in their culture where you would take expensive perfume and you would just pour it on somebody. And that's when they were dead. That was a part of the burial rites, that you would pour perfume on a body to prepare it for burial. And like all of uh, of Jesus' other followers, Mary has heard Jesus say time and time again, I'm going to die. I'm going to give it my life as a ransom for many. She gets it. The disciples don't get it yet, but she does. And so that's why she does what she does here. And it also made perfect sense to Jesus because Jesus says in verses 7 and 8, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mary got it, and so did Jesus. When was the last time that you did something for God that made no sense to the people around you? People you work with are like, you did what? People in your family are like, you've got to be kidding me. That's crazy. A few weeks ago, I challenged you all to think boldly, to do something bold. And I know some of you are listening to that and you took that to heart. 
I know we have three ladies in particular. We have Latasha and Kathy and, and Emily. You guys wanted to do something bold. And let me tell you, they did something absolutely nuts. They watched other people's kids. All right? They took a Saturday afternoon. They watched kids so, so moms could do some Christmas shopping or go on a date with dad. And some people might look at that and say, why would you do that? They're not even your kids. You wasted a whole Saturday afternoon and you didn't even get paid for it. Are you nuts? No. Well, maybe a little. But when you realize that that what I'm doing is an act of worship, that what I'm doing is a response to who God is and what He's worth, then all of a sudden, it seems different. Do something senseless for God. And it begins with this, giving your life to Him. Not part of your life, not some of your life, giving all of your life to Him. A blank check. Lord, my life is yours. It belongs to you. All of my time, all of my talents, all of my treasures, they're yours. Do with my life as you will. So altered service is senseless. Secondly, altered service is priceless. Mary's not concerned about how much the perfume is worth. I don't think she went to an appraiser the day before and was like, hey, can you give me a value on this? I want to anoint a guest of honor tomorrow, and I want to make sure how much I can afford to, to dump on it. No, she didn't do that. She wasn't thinking about what this is worth. She was thinking only about what Jesus is worth. Now, John tells us that it was worth about one year's wages. If we bring that into our culture, the average American makes about $45,000 a year. So what can you buy for $45,000? 180 55-inch large screen televisions. 37 and a half MacBooks. Or 136 Dell laptop computers. Or you can go to Harvard University for 1.26 years. $45,000. Or you can buy... This house, right here in Marshfield, needs a little bit of work, but $45,000 gets you that house. Or, for $45,000, you can buy this 2017 Ram 3500 Mega Cab 4x4. It's available at a uh, dealership just right down the way here. So, in essence, you could say that Mary just anointed Jesus with the heavy-duty pickup truck. How much is enough to give to Jesus? 1%? Five 5%? 10%? 25%? Let me tell you something. As long as we're thinking about it that way, we've completely missed the point. Because there's only one answer. 100%. There's a song we used to sing in church when I was little. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I remember one time I was doing a sermon, I don't remember what it was, but I had a buddy of mine who could actually sing. I said, hey, can you 
get up and, and sing some church songs, but sing them with honest lyrics. You know, sing them if we actually meant what we said on a Sunday morning. And so he's saying that one. Some to Jesus I surrender. Some to him I reluctantly give. It changes the worship service, doesn't it? We give it all. But Jesus' disciples, led by Judas, and they should have known better, but they defined what she did as a waste. And they had some pretty good reasons. Could buy a lot of food, could feed a lot of people. And let me tell you something, there will always be good-sounding reasons not to do the right thing. If you want to, you can explain and rationalize yourself out of anything that you want. But here's what I believe about giving to Jesus. God deserves the best of our lives. He deserves the best of our time. He deserves the best of our talents. He deserves the best of our treasures. He deserves the best of our service. So when was the last time you gave something extravagant to Jesus? Altered service is senseless. Altered service is priceless. Thirdly, altered service is timeless. Now, I am amazed at the lengths people will go to to leave a legacy. I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Frank Strober. Go ahead and put his picture up on the screen. That's Frank. And Frank wanted his legacy to be this, the creator of the world's largest ball of twine. Now, somewhere along the way, Frank had learned of what used to be the world's largest ball of twine in Darwin, Minnesota. And it was... 12 feet in diameter, and it weighs 21,140 pounds. That's a lot of twine. And Frank thought to himself, you know what? I think I can beat that. And so he got to work. And he began rolling day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And he was passionate in his work. But then something happened when he was about one foot shy of his goal. Frank died. And so he was the creator of the world's second largest ball of twine. And his little town, they honored him. They put the ball on display and they put up a big sign. World's second largest ball of twine. What a legacy. Of course, after his death, other people came along and they began to add to it. And eventually his second largest ball of twine became the world's largest ball of twine. So the one that's in Darwin, Minnesota, now has this sign, the world's largest ball of twine rolled by one man. What will be your legacy? What will you leave behind after you're gone? Are you doing anything timeless? Here's Mary's legacy. Matthew 26, verse 13, Jesus says about this, about what she did. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are talking about her act of service 2,000 years later. Mary's act was timeless. It is an example of altered worship. Do something timeless. 
Adopt a child. Mentor a, a child of a single parent. Sponsor a kid in another country through Compassion International. Teach children here. We always need people to teach children. Love your neighbors. Minister to your community. And serve others. Not just doing it for God. Not just doing it for others. But as an offering of worship. Because God is worth it. Because you love Jesus and you want to worship Him more completely. And know this, that an act of service done as an act of worship is never, ever a waste of time. Never. Would you please be standing? We're going to pray. And if you're involved in, in serving in the church or serving in your community, I, I hope you've gained maybe a new perspective on what you are doing and why you are doing it this morning. That that, that act of service, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class here or coaching Little League out in the community, that can be as much worship as singing a song of praise here on a Sunday morning. Would you please bow with me? Father God, I pray that our lives will be lived as an expression of worship. And that everything we do, whether for you or for others or even for ourselves, is done with a heart focused on you as an opportunity to be with you. We thank you for being our King being our high priest for dying for us. We weren't worthy. But you are worthy of everything that we have and everything that we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song of invitation and commitment. If you need prayer, we'll have Stephen ministers in the back have one of our church elders over here. I'll be at these double doors. If you need prayer or you have any decisions you need to make this morning, let us sing.